Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Dijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Morning Show and Love Life, two very different shows exploring complicated relationships. Yes. Ooh. Very universal. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> How's uh, so? We were we were accidentally off last week. Yes. So yes, what, how bad. have your last two weeks been? That's all right. Well, yeah, I will. Uh, I I take full responsibility for our last week. Uh, I know some people were like, we were waiting for an episode, and our bad. Um, basically, I've had internet problems for a while, and it just came to a head last week. But the good news is that I, I have new internet now that is, what is it, fiber optics, Fios, whatever, seems to be working. Ooh. So uh, thank you for your patience, everyone. And thank you, uh, I guess, new internet providers, although they all suck in different ways. They all definitely suck. But who's the one that fucked you over? <laughs> Xfinity. Let's name names. Xfinity. Hey, f- fuck you, Xfinity. Yeah, fuck you, Xfinity. Fuck you, man. Yeah. Um, Thank you I'm for glad, your support. I'm glad you're juiced up with a new internet connection, yeah. though. Oh, it makes yeah. streaming, like watching this shit, so much easier, too. Um, oh, sick. By the way, yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, that that has pretty much occupied a lot of my time these last couple mm-hmm. weeks. Uh, what about you, Pollen? How are you doing? I'm all right. I have been in a very good vibe. Ooh. For the last two weeks, don't give me the evil eye. Um, I'm trying to protect my energy. No, but... we're all happy for you. Um... Oh, thank you. It's been getting colder, so that fucking sucks. The only thing is, like, I know we previously love it being cold and everything. The only thing that I forgot sucks about the winter and like the coldness and like all of that is dry sinus because oh, of heat. Yeah, so that sucks. But you know, we'll get that humidifier in here and get that going. But mm-hmm. I've been all right, you know, just going to screenings, being very happy about watching films only a couple of weeks ahead of you guys. <laughs> um, maybe next year I'll go to some festivals and really flex mm. for, for the pod. But, Love uh, that. For you now, can do some exclusive pod content. Yeah. But so we've had two weeks to watch films and t- watch TV shows. Mm-hmm. What has been your pick over the last two weeks? I know last week you were going to do something and then we've gotten to the point, I think, now where we can actually talk about something else. Yes, we can finally talk about The Morning Show, which is... I've wanted to talk about it since uh, season one, which wrapped up... I I didn't even get to the season one, like, when it was actually airing. So finally, now in season two, we can talk about it. So if you're not aware, The Morning Show is on Apple TV+. It was one of kind of their their big first uh, flagship products or offerings mm-hmm. basically um it's a drama series it's created by jay carson it's based on the cnn anchor brian stelter's book lucy uh, about like what it is to work on a basically morning network news show so i will try to give a brief breakdown of what is happening um so it centers on the stars of a fiction morning news show and tv network so alex levy played by jennifer anison is oh, one yeah. of the co-hosts of uh, The Morning Show, or TMS. Bradley Jackson, played by Reese Witherspoon, another big hitter, uh, mm-hmm. is the other co-host, who in season one was kind of more or less picked out of obscurity, like West Virginia uh, kind of local news reporting, to yeah. join the show to replace Mitch Kessler, played by Steve Carell, who's the old co-host who was fired for sexual misconduct. Yeah, There are a whole bunch of other characters, um, so I'll name some notable ones, including Corey, played by Billy Crudup, 
who is CEO of the network now in this current season. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Chip, played by Mark Duplass, who's Alex's producer and the former EP of The Morning Show. Uh, Mia, played by Karen Pittman, the new EP, who used to produce for Mitch. Uh, Daniel Deshaun Terry, who's a, kind of more a minor co-host on the show, who does weekends. Yeah. Um, and then in this current season right now, there's addition of Stella, played by Greta Lee, who is the mm-hmm. new president of news. Um, so these yeah. are just like a, some small selection of all the characters on the show. But yeah. season one centered on Me Too and kind of like the the fallout from sexual misconduct allegations, like the the idea of like complicity, how complicit are you, the, all the sort of gray areas. It started out quite clumsy, but I was actually really impressed by how that season came together in the last maybe two or three episodes yeah Um, it really stuck the landing yeah which is surprising and if you read reviews for the first season most of them pretty much are negative and i think that has in large part to do with this the critics of the time they only got screeners to maybe like the first six episodes or something like that it was before things actually got good so i don't know these apple should have given them screeners to all of it but yeah it it really came together in those last few episodes it became like an actually kind of interesting nuanced thoughtful look at blurred lines self-perception and like power entitlement uh this sort of insidious nature of all those things and how they warp how people are and behave and see each other and interact with other people yeah Uh, one of the better like explorations of like the gray areas of uh, Me Too and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. When did you watch that, Pelin? Say, I think similar to you, it had already ended and then yeah. I started watching it. I think what had ended up happening is after it ended, there was a corrective from critics. Oh, that really? Were like, it started mm-hmm. off a bit shit, but it actually turned out all right. Yeah. And I started seeing that and I was like, all right, now I'm curious. So I started watching it and it was a bit of a slog. Yeah. But, the first um, half. The thing about uh, an all-star cast is that you kind of don't care. Like, right. I just enjoyed watching Jennifer Aniston and, and Reese Witherspoon mm-hmm. go through these, like, ridiculous kind of scenes or... Especially, I think, with Steve Carell, just his character was pretty compelling to me as well. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of kept watching it. And then by the end of it, yeah, I thought I agree with you. I, th- I think I I thought it was just a little bit, it went to a darker place than I thought it was yes. capable of going. Yes. Um, and for that, I commended it because it didn't feel like they shied away. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was season one. And obviously, it's currently uh, close to wrapping up season two. I think there may be three more episodes or a few more episodes um Mm. so yeah coming off of season one i had pretty high hopes for season two i was like okay the show has shown that it's capable of you know going farther like it's capable of doing more but i have to say (laughs) so far i'm kind of disappointed uh Mm. season two is a bit of a confusing mess for me so far yeah um i'll just say like i'll give the, the rundown plot wise Alex returns to the morning show and sort of lives in fear of her previous kind of ambiguous relationship with Mitch coming out. Mm -hmm. Bradley has a storyline where she kind of grapples with her sexuality uh, and aspects of that becoming public. Corey is wound really tight uh, under the new pressures of being CEO in kind of compromising circumstances. Mitch is in Italy. (laughs) He is hiding out on Lake Como yeah. And meanwhile, while all this is happening, uh, COVID is starting to unfold. Like, yes, they are including the early days of COVID in the morning show, which yeah, is it's, it's, surreal it's a to lot. watch. Yeah, that... Oh. It opens up, season two opens up with 
beautiful drone shots of New York completely vacated. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be like three months prior. And then it's yeah. like New Year's Eve. It's, it starts with New Year's Eve 2020. Um, right. for, for, for the year of 2020. Yeah. And then you see, you know, these reports kind of trickling in and it becoming more and more of a news item in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand what they're trying to do. My issue with season one was that they kept edging towards playing into our expectations mm-hmm. and then just kind of reaching the line and almost going over it, but then not. And I feel like that's what they're doing right now with season two, where they're just like, they keep edging towards our expectations of like what, what is predictable, what we think that they will do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I think they've just crossed it in season two. And I think that's my disappointment is I was hoping that they would like just kind of turn back around and give us something unexpected again. Uh, yeah. but I don't know. Again, like we still have. I feel like we were we all felt like this for season one, and then it Probably. was like literally two three episodes before it ended, where we were just like, actually, that all tied together pretty well. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that because we're like they just aired episode eight because mm-hmm. uh, it comes out on Fridays, I think. It comes out on Fridays, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe they can still save it, and I, I I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, to, yeah, it's really hard to say. Like knowing how they really came through in the end last season, and will they do the same trick again? I kind of don't think they will or don't think they can, but if they do, like, I'll, I'll eat my words. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I think my, my, my beef with this season is similar to to some of the beef that I had with it in the first season where some scenes and some dialogue does not make any sense to me Mm -hmm. in terms of tone. I think the tone is still something that it is a little bit like up and down about. Definitely. And, uh, I hate it. I don't know. I hate it. <laughs> I hate feeling like discombobulated because I can't figure out the tone of a show. Yeah, and it's been it's been two seasons at this point, and I don't know. I just kind of feel like that you gotta like we've talked previously about how second season is always the toughest, but like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. tone is a really interesting question because it kind of teeters between these different sides of like, okay, are we prestige like kind of serious drama like the kind that you know, Apple TV plus promoted us as uh, with these big heavy hitters, or are we a campy soap? Right. And uh, they're rich, like seems to mine, like on either side of that divide. Yeah. But it is, it, it hasn't quite figured it out. I don't know what it's trying to be. And is it trying to have it both ways? Um, yeah. Or is it like the campiness is like, is that totally unintentional? And they're just like yeah. not aware of that. And, I feel like that can't be true. Like the the creators of this, they aren't fucking idiots. Um, no. So I don't know which is there one side or another that you would like it to turn more towards. It's funny because I find myself enjoying the more serious sides of it overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it it depends on the scene and what it's about. So I like Billy Crudup being yeah. this like high intensity positive vibes everything's yeah, gonna work out yeah. yeah like ma- like manically smiling <laughs> like <laughs> i find him hilarious me too uh but i find like what's what's jennifer aniston's um her assistant who's the actor that he's one of the brothers right the oh mark duplass yeah chip, he's the so, character chip. Yeah. yeah so their interactions i hate because i think even though I enjoy watching Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, they are not really character actors. Like they are literally just playing themselves. Yes. And I, I don't know how much more of Jennifer Aniston spluttering indignant oh my God. I can take. I was 
that's I have that in my notes as it really came through, especially um in the Italy episode when yeah. she is in Italy and just like the whole time is in her car or in front of it, or like or by herself or like just like like the the spluttering the the yeah I don't know like the breathing the heavy breathing the like kind of hyperventilating yeah. um groaning to the, herself it was just yeah. like it was too much it was too much and I it, yeah. <sighs> And that's that's the thing is is I know that she's meant to be this like Loki unlikable character. Mm-hmm. I just can't take it. I think my my issue is is honestly with Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know if she is designed to be necessarily giving us multiple layers of emotional depth right. in the whole series. Uh, I, 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 that's why I think like at the times where there's like cattiness or something going on, she works really well because she is more than anything like a comedy actress. So yeah, I, I yeah, I think that's my issue with it is it's sad that the thing that the serious aspect that it's trying to dis- explore are cheapened or like lessened in their in their like strength by yeah. everything else that kind of bookends it or everything else like all the leading transitional scenes that are meant to like push plot along or whatever but i don't know that's it also seems to be like they it, now that they they've driven this even harder at home i feel like that's what they think that this show is is like a healthy blend between the two. And I'm just here to say that I don't think it's a healthy blend. And I kind mm. of wish that they started all over again. <laughs> uh, but it's too late now. They kind of have to keep going with this, which which I understand. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. What are some of the things that you do like about it? Like, is there anything about this season that you think is working out? Well, I think yes with a caveat, which is that Similar to what we were just talking about, like where you said you like where it leans into the darker and the more serious. I also think that is the area that the show is most interested in exploring or the mm. the writers and, you know, the the aspects in the season of like, what is cancel culture? Quote unquote cancel culture. Like, uh, what are the yeah. gray areas again of complicity? Like, is there such thing as redemption? What does it mean to be someone who maybe did horrible things but can you become better as a person like what does that look like uh yeah. how did that how did that even work and that's primarily through the character mitch of course who is in mm-hmm. italy uh that's that's who alex who is like sort of grappling with her own complicity in everything yeah. and while being publicly hailed as like a, a hero a feminist icon yeah. um there are still like moments where i see i wouldn't necessarily call them like go so far as to call them flashes of brilliance but at least like compelling bits that are like scattered all over like in this the most recent episode that aired on uh friday like the part where the character mia she has a monologue about you know alluding to her past relationship with mitch who she was a producer for and they had a consensual you know sexual romantic relationship also and she is monologuing about you know how something a relationship like hers that she felt empowered and that she felt like mutual attraction (laughs) adding you have to like consider uh the fact that mitch is like literally the the star and she's a producer for him and he's her boss sensibly but you know it doesn't change how she felt about it and how this is now going to get lumped in with all this other terrible stuff that he did. Yeah. I thought like something like that was like uh, actually quite powerful. And yeah, it really reminded me of like the the same kind of like almost touching or moving like uh, motion of what happened with the character Hannah in season one. And yeah. even small tidbits like Bradley's relationship with her her brother who has addiction problems and is like bipolar and just like the the sort of tragedy in many ways for what happened 
to her family. Though there's there are definitely moments like that, which a lot of it comes to, I think, from some strong performances on on some some actors. But yeah, where I'm like, okay, I'm still unexpectedly moved. But again, those are just like smaller parts of the whole. Yeah. They're like they're not often enough that they they feel like a solid, like they make of the bones of the story, which yeah. is like so determined to just like this season especially to milk a lot out of jennifer aniston and steve carell so i yeah. just i wish there was some of the the strong parts about that that was just like built more into the 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 foundation of the story but yeah yeah what about you palin um i agree i think they they are the jewels of whatever this crown of of content is my beef with this season i think is with all the supporting uh, strains of things that are happening too um, much happening too many storylines too many too many storylines honestly seem to be there as like decorative pillows uh yeah so i don't i i don't care about them whether right. it's the character of daniel not being able to get you know the promotion that he wants right. or like get the job that he wants or it's uh you know the cuban weatherman complaining yeah, about those are so like they just like drop those in and you think yeah. they're going to be a mu- much bigger part of it and then they like completely dip out um, yeah. unless they're going to bring it all back for the last last two episodes. Yeah. And um you know Greta Lee's character, I don't know what they're doing there with her. Um I don't think she's a good actress. She is really um, there are moments a lot of the time where you think she's like laughing. Um but actually it's yeah. a very serious thing and then it goes back to her looking Yeah, <laughs> she is uh She's definitely a comedy actor, man. <laughs> like, this it again? It's yeah, like this. That, I will agree with that. It's it's definitely like one of those things where I I think she just has a comedic face, which is like the 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 issue with a lot of comedy actors as well. It's their strength, honestly. But some can turn it around and and flip it into more expressive. But I think for her, she has such a great sarcasm face that it's just like yes. It, it yes i don't know it's not working for me like whatever they're trying to do with her is not working for me and um i would have to agree um yeah. and yeah with with chip and his relationship with uh alex. yeah sorry with with yeah. alex even bradley's coming out her storyline yeah, story yeah. and even i know that like the scene with her brother is very moving obviously if you have a, a someone raging in slow motion and someone in front of them crying i think that is moving no matter what you do um right, but right. uh even that whole whole thing is a little bit weak to me like i don't feel convinced by it yeah it's not it's yeah. not great um i do but again like it's the, the scenes with steve carell uh his mitch and uh alex having that kind of standoff it feels very one like I love it. I love that he is like I understand that my shit is terrible and you don't want to stink because of me and you want to wash mm. me of it. like I get all of that. I think that's very true. I think everybody is just trying to self-preserve and that's kind of how it is yeah. with stuff like this. Yeah. But yeah, that felt very one-sided to me. And uh, I think Steve Carell's a really great actor and I I it's yeah. nuts that his uh his character especially has been given so much grace by the actor that performs it um especially because he's like ostensibly like if there ever was a villain he's the villain but like not really in this season and i think that's the that's the strength of it is like i'm actually kind of glad that they spent a little bit more time with him um the ambiguity all the storylines are questionable like the pacing like things are moving pretty slowly for something where you know a lot of the storylines they they are kind of like trying to 
create this sense of urgency mm-hmm. or like crisis. Yeah. The characters, their emotions, their motivations, like so much of it is just like totally opaque. Yeah. Like, I don't really, I don't know where we're going. Yeah. I don't even really know what has happened so far. Yeah. Um, the over, the, the kind of overall arc of this whole season is, uh, it's confusing to me. What, what, what happened, what they did with Mitch by the, the closing of his arc, yeah. that's also kind of, baffling to me in a sense and i i actually liked how it ended i think it was only ever gonna be this way um yeah because i think you can only belabor the point so much um right with with a situation like this and i think that's the reality of it is do you slip into the darkness um and if you end up doing the work do, does anyone care or does anyone take you seriously um i think that's like that's a very true thing with regards to quote yeah. unquote cancel culture, you know, whatever that means. But I, I, I think what ended up happening with him will be able to make the final point, which is someone can, it can stay unresolved. And that's also that, yeah. that in between being a permanent state is also something that is true. Yeah. I, I thought yeah. that was the right decision to make. And I actually, out of all the episodes, that episode, the latest one, episode eight was my favorite out of all of them. But there was just that one scene with Chip and Alex in the car that I was like, why didn't they cut this? I'm so fucking annoyed. Oh, it went on forever. Ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's, the show is like quite, uh, it likes to indulge in a lot of these. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it, but this is what I mean. I feel like season two is like trying to really just make something out of nothing, really. Or, or like mm-hmm. stretch it out, just milk it, milk whatever it is that they're trying to say. And like, that's yeah. what, I mean, in terms of an audience, you can't, people are going to notice, like we're noticing this. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with, with season three. Would you tune in for a season three? Again, it depends on how season two ends. Right. I was not like, yeah, mark. like by episode seven of season one, I was like, I'm never watching it. Like once I'm done with this season, I'm never watching another minute of it. And then it ended and I was like, huh. So we'll see. TBD. Yeah. Me too. I think despite everything, uh, I do find myself entertained more often than not. Yeah, I guess if anything, take that as a maybe mild recommendation yeah. with a lot of asterisks. Yeah, give it give it a go. I don't know. Give it a go. And we'll see. We'll see what happens in the next yeah. few episodes. Um, we'll circle back. And we will uh we'll circle back after after season two yeah. is wrapped up. All right, Pellin, what about you? What did you watch this week? So uh, going off of that formerly flagship TV show, um, I watched Love Life Season 2, which was actually HBO Max's first original uh, series that they that they mm. aired on, on their streaming service. Not HBO, but HBO Max exclusively. Okay. Like you had to open <laughs> up a Max account to like watch it. But this is created by Sam Boyd. As mentioned, this is a second season. It is an anthology series. So season one was, it starred Anna Kendrick as Darby. She was uh, the protagonist who was essentially like navigating their love life in New York over a span of several years. And like each episode is the name of one love interest or one person that we're going to focus on. Um, But season two, just as a heads up, also has like two other showrunners along with Sam Boyd. They are Bridget Bedard and Rochelle Williams. This season focuses on Marcus Watkins, played by William Jackson Harper, who you will know as Chidi from The Good Place. Um, mm. He plays a hapless book editor, exploring the joys and perils of single life. Uh, it's not really a 
spoiler because it happened in the first episode but he starts off married and then you know it uh, does not yeah. stay that way uh no and um, <laughs> so much like season one in season two the episodes are also formatted with like a person that they're focusing on and um it centers around the protagonist's emotional journey and it's kind of bookended with like a sagely narrator that's explaining their interiority at the like the more introductive and like the conclusive points and um yeah the first season's narrator was leslie manville and the second season is keith david and um with this season, there is a recurring character for Marcus, who is Mia, that's played by uh, Jessica Williams. They have, um, so I was going to ask you about this. I think they have great, great chemistry, but what, how do you feel about how well-suited they are? I agree they have great chemistry. I really like them as friends, kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I buy into, <laughs> I don't know if I buy into their romantic relationship. Because I'm a little bit, I don't know, I'm Middle Eastern. I'm like very <laughs> surface level sometimes with this type of stuff. And I agree with you. I think she, like it's revealed, this is I guess a spoiler, but not really. But it's revealed that her boyfriend at one point in the series, like early on, is Amari Stoudemire, who's like fucking <laughs> six foot seven. And like, I see that for her. You know, I see like a basketball player or a football player for her. Or like just someone large, just just large, like a you know, like a real fucking tree of a man. Um, and uh, yeah, Marcus is not that. He is. He is. It's insinuated that he's swole because he is. He's got like a really muscular, like oh, uh, great body. Is like, yeah, yes. he's got it going on. But he's still like his frame is kind of small compared to Jessica Williams. Anyway, huge diversion. Right. Um, they <laughs> are. <laughs> Uh, adding to the cast, Marcus has two best friends, Yogi and Kian, played by comedian Chris Powell and Arian Moyed, uh, aka Stewie from Succession. Stewie! Yes. He's here. He doesn't look as hot in this Loved one. Loved it when I. Uh, yeah, I think it's like. Maybe like the the whole thing of him not being like a millionaire one well he is a millionaire in this he again, is a millionaire in it's this a different one, yeah. vibe it's a different it's a, vibe i yeah. think i i think i've i think he just didn't get a haircut for this one i think this is the issue i yeah, think he needs that a nice little, little shape buoyant. up yeah um yes. and um, then but still love love this for him love this for him he's he's great obviously um as is chris powell who's mm-hmm. just hilarious and um yes in addition we have marcus's sister ida who's played by punky johnson from snl and she's fucking great in this one too and she's um, so good she's so good shout out to her boiling like dildos in the in the kitchen one time just <laughs> fucking fantastic scene um and then his his mother ida is played by janet hubert who is, if you know this name, you know that she's the OG Vivian from Fresh Prince. So shout out to casting. Oh, I thought she looked familiar. Yeah, shout oh out to God. casting, man. Great, great casting. So I kind of want to get into the strengths of it and like what you mm-hmm. like about it. Because uh, yeah. you're still pretty new. Like, How many episodes have you watched of season two? I've watched so far all the rep- episodes that have been released. So I believe oh, that's six episodes so Six far? episodes, yeah. So they're going three episodes a week. And they're half an hour episodes, so they're short. And it's actually like, I don't know, it, like the hour and a half goes by very quick to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So next week, I think might be four episodes. So they can just like finish oh, out the series. The finale. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, um, what do you like about it so far? Because this, I bought season one and you haven't. So I kind right. of know the tone that the show goes for, whereas you don't. How do you feel about it? I was kind of pleasantly surprised. I I guess from the premise and the the name of the show, it maybe undersold it for me because I was like, I don't fucking care about someone's like watching. I don't want another modern love. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah I was like pleasantly surprised. Like, 
the performances are good the direction is good the the writing is like unexpectedly like like really good at like smart and yeah. um, subtle and, and funny and uh overall yeah i i really enjoyed watching these episodes and i'm really looking forward to seeing more and uh yeah it's like a an actually like good example of how to write romance which is really about like how one person like grows emotionally yeah exactly and you know this is one of my favorite things about the first season as well it's very similar in that you have a you have a preconceived notion of what this is going to be about especially with anna kendrick as a protagonist um and if you grew up on you know the the early alts like rom-coms that we all know and love you have an idea of what it might be and you're kind of like fatigued by it and this definitely injects some life into that genre and into that feeling and that format yeah man like season one and this season excellent writing very thoughtful like way more thoughtful than you think it's gonna be and also comedy where it's needed and extremely sad and reflective when it's also needed like it knows exactly what to elicit at what point um Mm -hmm. but yeah like you said it really is this is this is a show not just about romance it's not just about finding love and that, that was a strength of the first season. And I can see that they're doing that for this season as well, where it's about your relationship with like the closest people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with season one, there was an episode dedicated to her mother. There was an episode dedicated to one of her best friends. And it's like, mm. it, this is how adulthood is. Like we start off with Darby. We start off with her quite young and then we end up with her, I think like almost 10 years later. Um, and it just does a really good job of pacing throughout the season. Yeah. The the points in her life that have really taught her a lesson or really kind of helped her grow. And they are doing this essentially with Marcus as well, with all the nuances of the differences in who they are. You know, like Darby is a He's white a black man. Yeah, Darby yeah. is a white woman, Marcus is a black man, and a middle class as well black man who I think they really kind of the expectations that he sees for himself in his life, the type of father that he potentially wants to be, the type of partner that he potentially wants to be. He's a mess, dude. <laughs> like, I, and I love that about it. Like, I, I, I think William Jackson Hoffa does such a good job of this, like, lovable fuck up that means well, mm-hmm. which is the case for, like, I think a lot of, a lot of guys like him. <laughs> and you can kind of, like, empathize with him where he's just fumbling through it. But yeah, I, I love that about it. And it, like you mentioned, the, the tone, you it's shot very well. So you kind of feel like it might yeah. be like this saccharine rom-com feel. But um, no, dude, they do not shy away from darkness in, in, right. the, in these series. Um, it's really, it reminds me a little bit even of um, High Fidelity, which was like, yeah. know, unfortunately canceled by Hulu after one season. Like, yeah. Just that like kind of very... I guess it's like catnip for me almost, but like very contemporary, very mm-hmm. uh, not like teen young, but like this, uh, you know, your late 20s, early 30s, uh, that kind of like sweet spot of figuring out where you are and, and who you are and where you want to go in life, who you yeah. want to be with. Yeah. And like also, of course, at New York, like this, a really urban, young, uh, smart. I don't know. It just like ticks all those boxes for me. Yeah. Uh, and I really like it. And I really love how they are able to kind of squaring on the potential love interest throughout the season of like mm-hmm. bringing up different issues from either the the partner or just different issues that people can come across in relationships period like with mm-hmm. with Darby you you came across like the different archetype of man that she kind of dates 
Mm-hmm. And you know that, like you might have gone through that. You've seen maybe your friends go through something like that. And there's like an evergreenness to it, but also like a, a specificity with regards to the character and what she's going through. And it all makes sense. Like it all just kind of gels together. And it's the case with Marcus too. Like there's like a love interest that seemingly is perfect, but mm-hmm. there are cracks mm-hmm. and they are kind of nodded towards very early on in the episode. And by the end of yeah. it, the way that it kind of unravels makes sense. Like you don't feel tricked into this happy story or this happy ending. It, it's like very true to life. And, um, you know, story and truth are like, they have to kind of work together and one cannot feel more strong than the other. There has to be like a perfect balance. And I think what Love Life does really well is that it balances the story with the truth and vice versa um, in terms of like what it means to be single, what it means to navigate like different types of people, what they elicit out of you, how the end of it or the beginning of it can help you grow. Yeah, just just really, really, really good. I mean, like very believable, like very believable, very robustly like fleshed out as yeah, like man. walking talking human beings yeah and it just reminds you of like being single like for me like i'm married now but like it reminds me of like being single in my 20s and the type of shit that i would do and the way that i would kind of twist and turn myself into possibly making something work being single is rough bro <laughs> i mean it's not like i'm married now but who knows you know what i mean like i don't <laughs> Like, this guy gets divorced, you know, and we can all start from scratch. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no, no, he's... Um, but I just, uh, yeah, man, it's it's hard out here. It's fucking hard out here. Do you think there... Do you have an endgame in, in mind for, for Marcus and his love life? Do like, I think... It, so? Yeah. Well... Will it bring it back to basically the, the, the woman they keep bringing it back to? With Mia? Um, yeah. I don't think so. Hmm. I have well, a. That, that'd be a little bit too fairy tale, maybe. It would be too fairy tale, and I think that's not how life works either. Like you can be interested, they can be like the guy or the woman or the person that you have loved over a span of like I don't know, ten, twenty years, and it just doesn't work out because that's how life is. And I think that's what I like about this show is that I totally believe that they are capable of admitting this truth. Mm. So I don't think so. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think. I, I think they're gonna get really serious, but I think something's gonna happen that makes it irreparable. Um, mm. So I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. That's a and good like thought. and and the way that's kind of how season one went too. Like, do you? So I have a question for you. Once this season is over, do you think you'll go back and watch season one of of Anna Kendrick's season? If you if you're telling me that it's like as good as like the season or like mm-hmm. close to the season uh i guess yeah sure i'm not like anna kendrick is kind of weird yeah uh, i like some of her performances previously but i also like i don't know i'm like repelled by other aspects of her as a as an actress right just, like a, an entity yeah but i don't know if if you're if you're telling me it's good if you're recommending it uh i think i i think i would go back it's so, it's so funny that every time i mentioned like back in the day before season two came out, every time I mentioned how good season one is, people would be like, mm, I don't really like Anna Kendrick. <laughs> and I feel so bad because I actually think that this, I get what you mean. I think she is, ve- that she's a very specific type of uh, girl that mm-hmm. repels a lot of people. But I really think that this kind of works in her favor. Mm. I really do. Like, I think, I think she does a really good job actually of bringing that complexity into this role. Like, it reminded me a lot of my favorite performance from her in like films uh, with like Up in the Air. Oh, I never saw that. I'd, I'd recommend it, that one. Like that's my favorite film performance from her. I think it really suits that. They lean into her like prickliness, but also like the meaning well 
vibe that mm-hmm. she gives off. She mm-hmm. she does that a lot in season one as well. I just I just think the strength of the script is so good that it kind of overshadows yeah. whatever annoyance you have of Anna Kendrick. <laughs> I'm serious. So yeah. I would I would really recommend it, and I think it's like super low lift as well. So yeah, yeah, it's like this is a the, so for at least this season like it's a very easy show yeah. to to watch. It's very watchable. Yeah, like, you want to keep going, and it, you like Starstruck. So I kind of I, I feel like Starstruck is a love life baby. <laughs> like I don't know mm. when when that was written or when whatever, but it's the same. Like it follows Similar one protagonist. Concept. We skip years. We skip months. Uh, but yeah. it is just one yeah. other. It is like one other person. Whereas with Love Life, yeah. obviously, it changes. Which I like better as like yeah. a concept. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah. And I'm glad you recommended this because, like, I'm. I think I'm coming around to anthologies more now. Yeah. Like, thanks to some of these uh, good offerings. Some really do work. Like it's like yeah. uh, it's like short. I I find anthology series like the short stories version of tv like i find them really hard to get into it's not the thing that i reach for but once i start a short stories book um i will tend to just really enjoy my experience uh and that's kind of how i am with this one too but this is (laughs) genuinely this is one of the only anthology series that i'm like rooting for i just think it's just funny like i wanted to mention this before we go but i find that love life is basically the child of 500 days of summer um in terms of the to- oh. like the tone the feel the themes that it's trying to kind of showcase in terms of like mm. our protagonist is completely hapless um <laughs> and thinks that this person is going to fix them or thinks that this relationship is going to fix them and in the obviously in the process they end up growing and they end up like moving past it or whatever um mm-hmm. but it, this is definitely like it's giving even down to the narrator you know um, but if you, you know, if you love that back in the day, <laughs> like when when you watch that, I really, really think <laughs> that this times. is, yeah, this is a show for you. Like if you want, um, if you want like a rom-com that doesn't, that, that isn't too cutesy, I think this is definitely, definitely the one for you. This week in culture, I guess one thing that is kind of bubbling to the top of news and discourse is the backlash against the Eternals. Yeah. Um, at least critically. So, Pellin, you wrote down that it's currently 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is... Yeah, it's one of the lowest not, ones, I think. There's like not one a other... Score. Yeah, it's not great. I think there's like one other Marvel movie that has around that same... And listen, yeah. like, a huge caveat. Like, I don't fucking care about Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's just like a... It's like a terrible measure of anything. Um, however... No. But it's interesting in comparison, I think, yeah. to all the other Marvel films, yeah. which tend to get rated, what, like in the 80s to 90s, yeah. usually? Yeah. Um, so so what's going on with this? Dude. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Marvel movies are not necessarily overall critically acc- acclaimed in general. I feel like they kind of cap at, in terms of like originality of story, Especially, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. I think they kind of like, they cap it, I would cap it at around like 70%. What is happening with Eternals is that a lot of people think that the execution of this is not up to the usual MCU film standards. Because if there's one thing you can, you know, shout out to MCU fans, please don't come for me. But I agree with Scorsese in that I don't think these are necessarily cinema. I think it's like excellent entertainment. I think this is a version of film that is like, you know what you're getting yourself into. It's comfort food. You know you're going to watch an MCU movie. You're going to be entertained. 
Are you going to remember it? Are you going to think about it for the rest of the night? Is it something that's going to like <laughs> reach deep within your core? Uh, no. So the problem that Eternals is facing right now is that I don't think it's even reaching that, uh, which is the, the, the kind of like feedback. that bar. Yeah, that bar of just like comfort food that you feel very entertained, you feel good about it. I will say I have not seen Eternals. Have you seen Eternals? Neither. Yeah. No, and I... Given my track record of not watching any MCU movie except for Black Panther, I don't think I will see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's notable. It, it's directed, of course, by Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Um, who is regarded, of course, as like a kind of an auteur director, like a very talented director, who apparently wanted to do something different with the Eternals. Like she wanted to make a non-Marvel movie or she yeah. wanted to do something different with it. But... From the reviews that I'm reading, it basically didn't succeed on that front either. Yeah, yeah, no. So the issue, and this is some backstory, right? So Chloe Zhao was hired to direct this movie before she won an Oscar. The issue, I think it's two-pronged. I think there's a little bit of fatigue, which is understandable with MCU. Like, not just taking over in the film space, but also in the TV space. But the other end of it, and I think this is the most important end of it, is the we as a collective audience, right? We the transient audience that watch MCU movies, whether we love them or not, uh, we're all used to the cast of characters already. Like we know the family, we know the different characters. And yeah, you can add a couple here and there, like Ant-Man was the most recent addition or whatever. But for the most part, we know who everyone is. We know how they relate. And we're invested in them and them as a collective. And I think The Eternals is a whole new collective, Right. It's Which is like challenging to super. start off. It's challenging to be the one to kickstart that. Yes. However, the main criticism and the feedback that I've been getting is that, you know, it's a star-studded cast and like some get way more attention than others. Like some talent is squandered. Some storylines don't make sense. You don't understand the point in investment. So is this them being nervous about the fact that they're launching a whole new franchise essentially like on top of the one that they already have i i essentially think that this isn't going to deter them from making a second eternals movie like no, they've been they, here before you know yeah and they really i mean critical reception is like honestly kind of whatever for for mcu like i'm sure they like it but like yeah it man. really comes down to comes down to box office and uh streaming and fan reaction which from what i've seen so far has been quite passionate. Yeah. Um, in part because, and one of the reasons I guess this is like notable also, this, this backlash or whatever is, is because this movie, as many people and many fans are pointing out, is like the most quote unquote diverse Marvel production by far. Yeah. Like it has people of different races and ethnicities, different, I guess, like sexualities, different, like all this kind of stuff. It has a deaf a deaf superhero, supposedly. Again, I haven't mm -hmm. watched it, but so people are especially like fans or people who don't really understand or care like how criticism works. Yeah. They're kind of like, Okay, so obviously everyone who's reviewing this movie badly is against diversity, they're against like, inclusion, they're against they're basically like uh they hate that it has like yeah. people of color and uh, queer people and people of different abilities yeah. and all this kind of thing. Uh so it's becoming that kind of lightning rod right now. Yeah. Which is which is pretty which, standard. I do Yeah, pretty standard. It, like I I but I expect no more 
from that. No more, no less. No, yes. but what what I find interesting about this Eternals, like the way that critics are reacting to it, like they're reacting to it in a way that they never, I think, never really would react to previous MCU movies. And, a, and I think a part of that is like, they think that this is like the intellectual MCU movie, so they expected more because it has like this famous right. director and it has yeah. like this cast that is like really well thought out and, you know, it looks incredible, you know, like... It was shot in real locations. Yeah. It sh- oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, we love cinematography, all of that. So I think like a lot of critics were hoping that this was going to be the point in which perhaps there was like a tone change in MCU movies where they were they were a little bit more leaning into cinema. Um, and mm-hmm. I think they were just disappointed in the fact that the story didn't really deliver. Yeah. I do think it's like part of this kind of, like we mentioned briefly, like it is a growing, I think, mainstreaming of an opinion that previously, yeah, like Martin Scorsese was like kind of raked over the coals by like some people like for, <laughs> for his opinion about Man. Marvel and cinema. and But now it's becoming like even more, I would say not trendy, but at least... I think you can see even in critics who previously would have reviewed and maybe did review a lot of Marvel films like quite positively and they would have counted themselves as like a proud Marvel head yeah. and a proud like fandom person. Like we see a little bit of a, a sea change overall. Yeah. And I think that that might have something to do with the industry at large, you know, like I think maybe there's some people that are trying to be like, maybe we don't want to have our version of Marvel, maybe we just want to kill Marvel. And yeah. then that way we can all just fucking get over this like sinkhole that we seem to be going into. <laughs> um, I don't think right. that's going to happen. Um, no, I do. I really like. I think you know there are some critics that have said that Marvel is too big to fail, and I think this is an example of that. I think they will make an Eternals two, and you will all eat this fucking food, which is how they take it. You know, for them, it's like, we're going to make millions. Like, for us, it's a matter of, like, do we make a billion dollars or do we make 500 million? If it makes 500 million, that's still fine. And I don't know how it's doing in the box office, but it's definitely not tanking. Like, it's making money. So I don't Mm. think that this is going to deter them. I do think maybe they'll change directors. (laughs) I don't think Chloe's going to be at the helm of that because they do that. They're infamous for doing that as well, just like switching directors out constantly. I don't think she would would want to again either. No, I think she cut her check and was like, right, that's the last time I'm doing that then. But yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting. It's just kind of interesting seeing how things are like received at any point in time. I just think that like, I'm sure it's not that bad. Do I wish that it was better than how it's being received right now? Yeah, because I want better for like Chloe and the cast, because I love most of the cast in this, you know, like we love Gemma Chan. Um, <laughs> we love like Brian Tyree Henry, but it's what it is. Like, I think they're all just, uh, they're all just trying to cut the Marvel check. <laughs> so who fucking right. cares at this point, you know? Um, and I will close this with one fun fact. Guess who is the breakout? hottie from this this cast uh, according to all these tiktok videos that keep getting started to break out hottie fans. yeah there is one guess who it is out of them is it barry kian yeah it is it is wow it is. that's hilarious he plays, uh druig and his he's like this actor is well known for being like a fucking snivelly like, there's a tweet about him at one point yeah, yeah there's a tweet <laughs> that was like if you see this fucker in a movie 
you know you're about to have like fucking like creepy uh manic little yeah, fun time yeah 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 it's funny because um, yeah i heard that he actually was wasn't as snivelly of a cunt in this one and he's actually really nice and yeah i don't know and yeah people are people are loving it he is like he is the breakout hottie wow. even compared to uh people like richard madden and uh kate harrington i mean we know their deal people yeah we know their I know, deal i know but the, the, yeah, that's the, your fun fact. <laughs> thank you for being my TikTok correspondent. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. So that's us for this week. If you have been watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know. Criticism is dead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticism is dead on Twitter and Instagram for extended show notes including all the links that we've been talking about with some extras, you know, just get your little redux of pop culture. Uh, thanks to Jenny. Please subscribe to our Substack at criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with a sweet little five stars. Well, that's, that's the only thing we'll accept. Thank you. Otherwise, just keep it pushing. <laughs> uh, and please tell a friend about us if you like us a lot. And we will see you next week. Bye. Criticism Instead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lou and Jenny Chisha. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Lou.